chapter of the gospel from the gospel of John. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made them known to your, I have known, to, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The word of the Lord. Good morning. I hope you'll get through this sermon. I just got back from China and um, four days of a prayer conference where I got to pray with brothers and sisters from Africa and Asia and India and North America and I'm a mess. Well, we're all a mess. And I was going to talk originally about um, the missional church. You know, I'm sort of an adjunct pastor here. It's not my day job, but it's my heart. I love being with you guys. And one of my roles is outreach. And we'll hear more about what God's doing in this church. It's amazing. I don't think a lot of us know um, Maybe what's going on, and that's my fault or our fault, but you're going to hear about that in the coming days. But when I went to China, it's the first time I've been in since 2011. Before that, I almost went, I went five or six times a year, and then Cuba, 
and Ethiopia and Cambodia and Laos. I went where the persecuted church was. And wherever there's persecution, except for maybe in the Middle East, the church is on fire. Why is that? Why is that? Because when you're persecuted by a culture or world or a government, um, and you're a believer and you're persecuted for your faith, first and foremost, God gives grace. Now, God gives us grace, but God gives supernatural grace. Secondly, you are drawn into a desperate dependence on God. But what happens is, outwardly, the world hates the church there. Outwardly, there's all kinds of chaos and government. There's hatred, different races, and so on. But what happens to the church is it draws the church back into the first things. Now, when we talk about Christianity in our culture, often it's, you know, God has done this for me, right? It's the four spiritual laws. Hey, God's got a wonderful plan for your life, and you're separated from God because you're, you're sinful, but he sent Christ Jesus into your world so that you might accept him and go to heaven and have an abundant life. That is true, but you see where the focus is. It is on us. You see, God's focus is on him. And so, uh, I'm going to preach on the missional God this year, not just this sermon. I want us to know that our communion, our community, our mission, everything we do is not about ourselves, even as Christians. Everything we do flows out of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's as we dig in there, I'm hoping that God will revolutionize our communion with him, the community that we experience, and the commission that he calls us into the world. And I'm not talking about us just as individuals. I'm talking about a community of believers. Let me give you one example. This is the longest prayer in the New Testament. Who's praying? You can answer. Jesus. Who's he praying for? What's he doing now as I'm preaching? Okay? And what's going on inside of us as we pray? Who else is there? And what does he do? Okay, but when you and I go to prayer, often we see ourselves going alone, right? We don't think of God praying for us. We don't think of the Holy Spirit praying in us. Am I right on that or is it just me? And that is one example. But all of our prayer is rooted in the prayer that God has for us. All of our ability to prayer is rooted in God, the divine spirit, living in us, giving energy, renewing our mind, renewing our heart, teaching us to pray in a right direction. I think I failed in many ways here. I came here in the first sermon I preached, I know it was like two hours, was on John 15. That's my passion, that we would abide in Christ. That we would realize that we're not the gardener. We don't, we're not responsible for cleaning up our own life or cleaning up everyone else's life. And we are not the vine. We're not the source of life. All we are is a branch. And the branch is defined by what? Abiding in God. Abiding in his presence. Abiding in the Father. Abiding in the Son. And abiding in the Holy Spirit. But Lord willing, I'm going to be ruthless with our church around prayer. Let me just start by this. So I was praying for this sermon with um, two Africans, two Asians, and an Anglo. And I told them what was going on here, and we just had truth tables here. And one of the sisters loves truth tables. It was, like, amazing. She's a campus minister in L.A. from um, Asia. I was like, wow. And I literally said, you know, I, I want to say something but I don't really know what to say. And this brother just had a vision for me. He's charismatic, and I love charismatics. I'm a little bit that way. And he said, I'll tell you what you should do. And I didn't do it. I think I'm chicken. But I, I, you need 
to get and start with a pail. And you need to wash a brother's feet. I already had the brother, Joseph. Is he here? I love Joseph. He's a new friend. And for me, what is my response to truth tables? Service. Putting myself under my brothers and sisters. It's a very interesting posture. It's hard. But Jesus, you see, came and he left his glory. He sort of veiled his glory in heaven. And what did he do? He came to serve. And that service was manifested in him washing the Peter's feet. And Peter goes, no way, God. He's embarrassed. He's shamed because he knows the living Lord is bowing the knee. That's what we need to do with one another, among a lot of other things. Maybe I'll do that another day. So let's look at John 17. And I want, I want to look vertically. I want to talk about not so much um, what Jesus is praying for us, but the God behind Jesus that's praying for us. So the first thing I'd like to see is that the glory of the Father, the glory of the Son, and the glory of the Holy Spirit is seen in his communion with each other. The glory of the Father, the glory of the Son, the glory of the Spirit is ultimately seen and rooted in his communion with each other, his union together in his being. Now, I don't usually quote the Shorter Catechism, but this church is Presbyterian, we're small p, we're confessional, and one of the um, confessions is the Shorter Catechism, and this is what it says about God. God is glorious, and he exists to show forth his glory. What is the chief end of man? Anybody know that? Man's chief end is to? Okay, good. What's God's chief end? Anybody ever read John Piper? God's chief end is to glorify himself and to enjoy himself forever. That's not narcissistic. There's no greater thing that, or being that you can glorify in this world than God. And God is right in glorifying him, just like himself, just like we are. And then it says this. What, is God, what has God given us? What rule, what principle to direct us how we might glorify and enjoy him? What has God given us to teach us how to do that? The word of God. You guys are good. You're answering all these right. The word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament. God speaks in the word. God speaks in creation. God speaks in our heart. We don't usually talk about that, but he brings the word. He brings the spirit into our heart. So when a pastor this week I prayed, God, show me what I should speak. I don't turn to Ephesus or Corinthians necessarily. And he says, you need to speak this. I try to listen and obey with the spirit in me. And we need to start listening to God. Prayer really, in many ways, starts with listening. So what do the scriptures teach? They teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty requires. God requires of man. But then it says this. What is God? God is a spirit. Infinite. Eternal. Infinite means what? Big. Everywhere. No place that God isn't. Infinite. Eternal. Always has been there. Always will. Before angels were created. Before the world was created. Before we were created, there was God. He's the first cause. He's the unmoved mover, as Plato says. But we can't know him unless he reveals himself. And he is unchangeable. Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine if we didn't have an unchanged, if we had a God that changed? So when you went to him, he was one way one day and one day another. You know, our parents drive us nuts. Mine don't anymore. Um, but they used to drive me nuts because sometimes dad would be in a bad mood, right? And the goal of a kid is to find out when your parents are in a good mood so they will say yes to you. That's one of the major goals, right? 
And one of the things you learn really are on is who to go first in your family. Some people go to dad, some people go to mom first, right? But the second thing you need to know is what mood are they in? But God is not like that. He is always gracious. He is always good. He is always loving. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So he's a spirit. He's infinite. He's eternal. And he's unchangeable. And here's his qualifications. He's infinite in his being. He's eternal in his being. He's unchangeable in his being. And in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. We're a church that believes in justice, right? What's our justice based on? God. Or who? In other words, if we want to make a difference in the underserved community or those that have experienced injustice by white privilege or any other kind of privilege, that work of us is rooted in the very justice of God. You with me? If we want to get wisdom and bring wisdom into the world and vote rightly and... Um, I'll get in give our president advice or a congressman or a senator. Where does the wisdom come from that we need? God. If we want to experience um, holiness and purity, if we want to be a culture that loves, if we want to be a political system that doesn't call each other evil but works together for the good of America, what do we need? We need holiness. If we want to be people that care for each other and take care of each other and lift them up out of poverty or bring them in, those that are lonely, or take care of those that are afflicted and those have disabilities or educate people that aren't educated at home, we need the goodness of God but most of all, we need God to be good. We need God to be holy. We need God to be powerful. We need God to be gracious. We need a God to be loved. And he is. And when I look at our world, particularly when I look at the United States and, or North America, that's where I spend time with reentry. I'm all over the cities, all over North America, working with international students, trying to bring the gospel to them and build them up as leaders so that they go back to their country of origin, planting ministry, starting churches, building kingdom communities that transform their own lives, that transform their communities, that transform people, that make a difference in the government. I am passionate about that. But hard as I try, I realize that that's God's work. He uses me, just like he uses you. But it's God's work. And we think way too much about us. We do not think enough about God. And as a result, we're depressed. We know we're weak. We know we can't do it. We know there's injustice. We know there's racism. We know all this. And when we think about it and we struggle and we confess all that, somehow we miss God. And I call you back as brothers and sisters, as a pastor in this church. And we're going to spend a year on this whenever I'm up here. I call us back to thinking, meditating, knowing, loving God. Because Jesus prays. Let's look here if you want to get this out. The first thing that Jesus does in this prayer, he has just taught the disciples the most condensed discipleship training course ever, the upper room discourse. John 13, Jesus has loved his own. He loved them to the end. John 14, he goes to prepare a place he, he, and he invites them and he sends his spirit because it's Jesus' advantage that he goes away. Do you realize 
It's our advantage that Jesus is not with us right now humanly. It's our advantage that he's in heaven. It sounds almost blasphemous, doesn't it? But Jesus now dwells in us in a community in his very presence through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. God used to be up there, right? In the Old Testament, when God manifested himself to Abraham and so on, he had to come down and then he left. With Moses, something changed. God came and dwelt with his people and Moses talked face to face. But even then, you couldn't get into God's presence, could you? Only the high priest once a year could enter in. And even then, it was iffy. That's why they tied a rope around his waist. So no one's going to get the, going in and get the high priest if God slays him. You got to pull his body out. But now, under the new covenant, God is in us and we are in God. Is that amazing? We do not think about that enough. And so Jesus says, when he'd spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. What hour? The hour of his mission. The hour of his mission to do his work from, the, from eternity past to die for us, to bleed, that we might not have just forgiveness of sins. Not be able to manage our own sins. That's called the gospel of sin management. And often we've reduced Christianity to just God coming into our life, making us better people. No, God has come into our life. He's bled that we might know him. Know him. That we might abide in him. That we might have communion with him and community with him. And we might be on mission with him. And this is what he says. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. We might think too much of our glory, as C.S. Lewis says, but we don't think enough of the glory of our neighbor. You know it's our job to glorify one another, right? To beautify. But certainly we don't think enough about the glory of God, which is all his characteristics shining forth like a movie. I don't know if that's a good illustration. But God puts on a show 24 hours a day. And it's a show about who he is and what he's done in the world. And so he says this, I have glorified me. I'm sorry, going back. The hours come, glorify your son, that your son may glorify you since you've given him authority over all flesh. We don't have authority even over a two-year-old, Right? I mean, every parent knows that, right? Terrible twos. You think you have authority over them. Guess what? Your only hope's God. And I mean that. Think we have authority over our wives, guys? How y'all doing with that? Or a husband's? Or a neighbor? Or the government? No, there's only one who has all authority. And it's God. And we might think about power. It's, don't we like power? Don't we like to be first? Don't we like to have authority over people? We don't. And we, when we misuse power, and when we steal it from God, and when we think we're the captain of our soul, we rob God from who he is. We actually don't make a difference in God's life because what we do doesn't affect his power at all. But we, what, what we need to do is think more about his power and goodness. And then he says this. I've given, you have given me authority over all flesh, over creation, over animals, and over people. All people. To give eternal life to those you've given me. And this is eternal life that they might know you. What is the great design for the Christian? That we might know God. Missions, evangelism, 
administration, just ask Derek about that or the deacons, children's church, youth ministry, anything we do, evangelism, outreach, help for the poor, justice, it is all secondary to knowing God. As a matter of fact, it's only when we know God that those other things are put in the right perspective, in the right place, and have the right power. That's eternal life. God has gone to great lengths that we might know him. But I want to see, it, see first of all, that God, his glory, is that he knows himself. Right? How well does God know himself? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are intimately acquainted with all their ways because they are the same. They have the same essence. They have the same substance. They are powerful and gracious. And so when we come to God, we come to one being, one God, same, equal in power, equal in stature, equal in glory, and they know each other and they commune with each other and they have been communing and sharing and loving one another since the foundation of the world and that's what they're doing now. And you know what? What's amazing is that God invites us into that communion. Now, we, um, do you think women can be theologians? Can they be pastors? Now, I know I'm on shaky ground here. Not in America. And I believe that men are supposed to be pastors and not women. But you know what? In China, 60% of the pastors are women. Same with Vietnam. Same with a lot of places in the world. Now, when I encounter those women, you know what they're doing? They're teaching, they're loving, they're exercising community, they're bringing people together. And in a house church, you realize women are gatherers, they're relational bearing, and a lot of the men aren't doing anything, so God calls us, calls them in a mission. Guess what? A lot of the missionaries that went out from our denomination, when they went into a place and they were women, they pastored. The elders are really looking at me like, okay, this isn't good. It is. That's what God's doing around the world. And brothers and sisters, we all need to exercise. Truth's table. They, they were sharing up here, not only about race, but about gender. They were speaking to us. They weren't speaking as elders. They weren't speaking as pastors. But they were speaking as children of God that's, that are called to share the word one to another. Right? We are too. Now, Susanna Wesley was the mother of two Wesleys. Anybody know who they were? One of them is a great hymn writer. He wrote Hark the Herald Angels Sing. He wrote 6,000 hymns. Charles Wesley. The other brother was named John. Anybody know who John Wesley was? He started a denomination. And anybody know what that denomination was? Okay. So, the question is, now we don't hear much about their father. We just don't. But we hear a lot about their mother, Susanna Wesley. And when she contemplated God, when she, she thought of God first and foremost, let me read some of her quotes, and I want to read them because they're profound, so bear with me. God is being himself, and as such, he must necessarily be infinitely happy in the glorious perfections of his nature from everlasting to everlasting. God is happy in himself. And he did not create. Neither did he redeem because he needed us. Guess what? God doesn't need us. Shocker. But he loved us because he loved us. Why did God love us? Because he loved us. It's the kind of answer we give our kids and they don't like it. But 
God the Trinity is the end, the goal, the, the omega, the alpha in himself and without any reference to a created world or the plan of salvation. God is that being who exists as the triune love of the Father for the Son in the unity of the Spirit. The boundless life that God lives in himself at home within the happy land of the Trinity above all worlds is perfect. He's complete. He's inexhaustibly full and infinitely blessed. Can you imagine writing this? Huh? Would you invite her up here to speak? What but pure goodness could move or excite God who is perfect in his essential blessedness that he cannot possibly receive any blessing or perfection or happiness from his creature ultimately? What I say but love, but goodness, but infinite, incomprehensible love and goodness could move him to provide such remedy for the fatal lapse of the sinful and unworthy creatures. It's God himself. What moves God to work in this world? It's God, ultimately. And we'll see in a minute, God uses us. And finally, God is the great God, the God of all the spirits of all flesh, the high and lofty one. He inhabits eternity. He's created not angels and man because he wanted them, for he is being himself and such must necessarily be infinitely happy in the glorious perfections of his nature from everlasting to everlasting. He did not create, so neither did he redeem because he needed us, but loved us because he loved us. He would have mercy because he would have mercy. He would show compassion because he would show compassion. He would bring justice because he would bring justice. Does the, I'm sorry, I know that was... Maybe boring. I'll send you the email if you, want to, if you want to see it. But I want you to see most of all that God communes with himself and that is the ultimate reality. But God has opened up the Trinity that you might commune with him. Let me say it again. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit live in eternity past. They live now. And what they've done is created space for you and me to know them and communicate with them and have communion with them, which we will do in a minute. Y'all, we should be on our knees just weeping right now. That is the mystery of the gospel. Christ in us, the hope of glory. God has brought us into his presence. It's amazing. So what's our response? Our communion is rooted in the communion of God. You with me? When you come to the table, you not only need to think about what you get from God, but you need to think of the Trinity and how God is communicating and communing with himself. This whole message Confusing as it is, it's a hard one to preach. It's designed that we might move beyond ourselves and think about God first and foremost. That God is revealed in the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. What is our response? What is our response to the love of God? It's the great commandment. Right? What's our responsibility to the love of God? To love the Lord back with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength and all our might. And if we love God, we will love our neighbor. All of our neighbors, red, yellow, black, or white, they are precious in his sight. Right? Jesus loves the little children, the little teenagers, the middle school kids, the adults and the grandparents, no matter who we are. And what he's done is he's done, he's come and he's invited in us into communion. And communion for us and for God is the beginning of all mission. You can't go out and evangelize unless you commune with God. Let me say it another way. Part of our weak evangelism in this world is we try to do the great commission before the great commandment. That's my sin. 
You want to pray for Tom Henry? My first instinct is to go and do mission. To think about it, to dream about it, to pray about it. I want my family to know God. I want everyone to know God. I want internationals to know God. I want us to be thrilling in evangelism and love it. I want our church to be on mission. But our first calling is to commune with God. Secondly, we're to worship. Here's what Bishop Temple says, my favorite definition of worship. Worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of the conscience by his holiness. It is the nourishment of our mind with his truth. It is the purifying of our imagination by his beauty. It is the opening of our heart to his love. It is the surrender of our will to his purpose. All this gathered up in adoration, the most selfish emotion which our nature is capable. Worship is the submission of our nature to God, the quickening of our conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of our mind with his truth, the purifying of our imagination by his beauty, the opening our heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose. And when we do this, we, we, we adore him. And it's the greatest thing we can do. Today, there's all kinds of people around the world they are going to worship sports. They're going to get more excited about a touchdown than they are about God. And I'm talking about Christians. They're going to spend more time in front of a game than they've spent with God all week. Look, y'all, I love football. I played it. Not very well, but I played it. And I remember when revival came into my heart in 99, I could give a flip about Penn State. That's not true anymore. And that makes me sad. If you get depressed because your team lost, you are out of the will of God. Sorry. If you get elated and the best thing that happened to you all week is that your team won, what on earth are you doing? You've grieved and quenched and resisted the Holy Spirit. And the devil has brought sports of all days on Sunday. NFL football, racing, and all kinds of other entertainments. And G.K. Stephenson said, you know, sports is for us to do recreation. It's not to watch. Sorry. I hope it ruins the game today. <laughs> Quoting Susanna Wesley, whatever weakens your reason... Whatever impairs the tenderness of your conscience, whatever obscures your sense of God, whatever takes off your relish for spiritual things, whatever increases the authority of the body over the mind, that thing is sin to you. However innocent it might seem in itself, whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, takes off your relish for spiritual things, whatever increases the authority of the body over the mind, that thing is sin to you. And obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, you will. And when you love me, this is what I'm going to do. I am going to disclose myself to you in new and wondrous ways. Kids, you obey your parents. Because you love them. But most of all, you obey your parents because God told you so. And you love him. Live in infinite community with each other. Our community is based on the community of God. Right? Our fellowship is based on what's going on in heaven. And if we just think of our community here, we'll be impoverished as a community. Our, we need to think about how God relates to each other. Now, I'm going to quote the Shorter Catechism again. Do I need to? 
Short of catechism, are there more gods than one? What do you think? No. How many persons, there is but one God only, the living and true God. How many persons are there in the Godhead? Three. Father, and the Father's job is to be sending the Son. We call him the only begotten. The Father does not proceed from anyone. He's eternal, and he sends his Son. The Son is not less than the Father. He's not subordinate in the sense of his essence. But the Father sent his Son from eternity past. Jesus has always been the Son of God. And the Holy Spirit. The Father and the Son send the Spirit into the world, into our hearts. The Spirit's there over creation. He's there over redemption. And we would not know Jesus if it was not for the Spirit. He is the glasses by which we look through. He is the one that brings us into adoption. He is the one that takes the gospel and applies it to our heart. And he is the one that brings about community in this church. He's the one that brings about justice. He's the one that takes care of poverty. He's the one that brings life to the dead and beauty out of ugliness and community out of loneliness. Friends, when we get together this week and talk about Truth's Table, I've got a suggestion. Pray. Now, if you know me, I talk too much. I could blame it on ADD or ADHD, and I do, but I think a lot of it is pride. I just think I know. Baby, don't say anything about that. Just be quiet. <laughs> and one of the ways to keep Tom Henry from gossip is to do good gossip, right? To talk about how great other people are and how great God is. Try that. But I'm thinking, I was very convicted this week because we spent like four hours in silent prayer and it was like a giant timeout for me. Ugh. And I was thinking, I need to talk to God more. Maybe that's what I need to fill my voice with. If I talk to God more, I'm talking to you less. But you know what? If I talk to God more, I'm talking for you more. And that's better than my words. And God calls us into a life of prayer, a life of reading the word. And he calls us to do that together. God loves when you meet with him, but the Bible says this, wherever God is, wherever God is, where two or more are gathered, he is there in our midst. God gets excited when you pray. He gets more excited when you pray with someone else. Um, Michael Spragans, Ted Budd, and my brother over there, right? Mark Lentz. Didn't y'all used to be in a prayer triad, right? Y'all knew each other through that. Hope community, just, they started this thing, just praying in threes. Wouldn't that be a good thing here? Just getting together with two other brothers or sisters and praying. I used to say just praying. What is our response to the community of God? Our response is to imitate him in love. To imitate him. And the more we think about the love of God that is exchanged one to another, the more we will think about the community that we have each other. For our community is to be patterned on God. And guess what? God not only invites us in and creates space for us in the Trinity to commune with him, but God invites all of us in to have community. Did you hear that? God invites you and I to not only know him and commune with him, God invites us in him to have community with him as we have community with one another. Did you hear that? God invites you and me today, no matter where you are, no matter if you're single, no matter if you're alone, and I'm sorry about that, that's our fault. 
God invites us in to know him, to love him, to tell secrets. And what does God do? He gives us his word. Now, finally, the glory of the Father, the glory of the Son, and the glory of the Spirit is seen in his commission to the world. I'm going to go through this quickly, and I'm going to hit it again in the coming months. But this is what Jesus prays. He, the Father gives the Son. He gives the Son authority to give eternal life. Isn't that good that we don't give people eternal life? Because if we gave people eternal life, some people wouldn't get it. Right? The wrong people would get it, and the right people wouldn't. We'd be different. Thank goodness that election, predestination, and all that stuff's not about us. Number two, he gives, the Father gives the Son us. We are the ultimate Christmas present. Did you know that? When you, December 25th, open those presents, God the Father gives Jesus us as a present. Y'all, that's amazing. And it's a good present too if we know Jesus. Because he sanctifies us. He makes us holy by the washing of the word. And he presents us before the Father. What a present. God gives Jesus us out of the world. We're not of the world. We're in it. And he takes us and he sanctifies us. And God the Father, through Jesus, moves us into communion, into his presence, out of the world. And many of us would rather stay in the world serving the flesh than being in community with God. Is that true for us? Yes. And that's why we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. God gives us his words. Do you know in China what they're doing? You probably don't. Have me over for dinner. They're taking all the Bibles out of the bookstores. They're changing the Bibles and putting the Communist Manifesto in the front. They're shutting down churches, and the churches they don't shut down, they're taking the cross off the wall, and they're putting the new premier's picture there instead. They're videoing the church. So if the church says anything wrong, they come in and tear it down and arrest. And you know what's happening to the people in China, to the believers? They're going vertical. They're praying, they're fasting, and they're loving God, and they know this, persecution's good. Because you know what's happening? A church of 300 or 200, they're getting shut down, and guess where the people go? In community groups. And a whole new level of leaders are being brought up in the faith. They might not know as much as the pastor, but guess what? The Bible says under the new covenant, no man needs to teach us. We will all know him from the least to the greatest because God under the new covenant doesn't write the law on tablets. He writes it in our heart. And if you spend your only time listening to the word in this day here, you are going to be an impoverished Christian. And let me say another thing. I love being a pastor. I love preaching the word. But it's more important that you sit down with the Bible in prayer than it is to come and listen to me. Did you hear that? I might be in trouble for that one too. I don't care. It is more important for you to open your Bible and spend fellowship with one another. And frankly, fathers and mothers, it is more important for you to open the word in front of your kids than it is to bring them to children's church. Or parents work with their teenagers. The ultimate youth ministry is parents. You're the youth leaders. And not just for your children, bring in the neighbors. Finally, he says, God the Father gives Jesus his name. 
his identity. They're one. And he gives Jesus glory. That's the first thing that Jesus asked for. And it's frankly the only thing that Jesus asked for in this prayer. Everything else for himself. Everything else is for us. But he says, Father, give me your glory that I might glorify you. And I've glorified you. But Jesus also prays for us. This is his mission. God's mission in the world is to pray for us. Are you kidding me? We just talked about communion and community being rooted in the Godhead. But now God in infinite grace, the one that doesn't need us, created the world for his own glory because he wanted to extend his glory and make it bigger. God's full in love. He's full in glory. But you know what he is? It's, he's like a spigot. And he uses me and he uses you and he uses creation to fill up his bucket so he overflows. And God's salvation simply is an overflow into our lives. And our communion and community with one another and commission is an overflow of God into others. This is what he prays for us, eternal life. He's the only one can give it. He prays that we might know God. He prays and he gives us the Father's world word. He gives us eternal life. He gives us the manifestation of the Father's name. So we are called God's children. We're the sons. Jesus is our brother. We're now brought into the household of faith. We have a new identity and we take our identity after him. You know, again, should I go back to football? No. Let's stay away from that. Let's go to a good job. You know, we like to have a good job. We like to be, define ourselves as by what we do, right? What, what do you do? Well, we don't say I'm a Christian. We don't say I walk around following Jesus. We should. We don't say, you know what I do? I spend my time in contemplation, not watching football. Sorry. Just, I'm preaching to myself. Check and see if I'm watching the game today. Probably am. But we are defined by God. And finally, Jesus prays several more things. He prays that we would be protected. Here are the four or five things he prays for us. Number one, he prays that he would keep us safe. We can't keep one another safe. I am really bad about this. Um, one of my great friends, Russ, is going to help me put a lock on the door. But I'd go out and just leave the door open, like literally open. You know, that's not a good thing to do for your wife, right? Fortunately, we don't have kids, and they're not like running all over the neighborhood. But I leave the door open. We need God's protection living with me. But what, what does God protect us from? From the world, from the flesh, from the devil. The world hates you. And if you're in China today, it's only God that can protect the people of God. And that's why they're so happy, but that's why they're so vertical. They continue to pray Jesus' prayer after him. Secondly, but he protects us. He keeps us safe so that we will be safe in his community. He says, I don't want you to leave. I don't want you to abandon me. I am going to keep you safe. It's called the perseverance of the saints. Once saved, always saved. If we love Jesus, but more importantly, if God loves us, he's going to keep us safe. Secondly, that he would make us one with him. Let me read the most amazing verses in all of scripture. If you want to look at this with me, you want to grab this for just a minute. I do not ask for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, they, that they may be in us. You hear that? God the Father and God the Son has brought us into a relationship, into a union with them that is close as they have with each other. 
God is not only in us, we are in him. What does that mean? That means we need to live like that in communion, in community. And you know what changes? You know what the answer is to hatred in this world and to injustice? It's being one with God. It's God's work of bringing us into his presence. God prays that we might be in communion and community with him. He prays that he might sanctify us. You know what that means? Wholeness. We studied Amari and Derek and myself and Howard and our amazing wives spent time talking about what wholeness is. You know where you get wholeness from? God. He sanctifies us and he sanctifies us in the word. That's what he prays. And secondly, God, the fourth thing he prays for is that we would have the joy, his joy in us. The full measure of his joy. Do you know, as Peter says, even though we don't see him now, we are filled with an inexpressible joy. That's the joy of the Holy Spirit. God gives us his joy, his love, his peace, his patience. And again, friends, we, do, we focus on our peace and our patience and how to get it. We need to go back and focus on the joy of God. Because once we see the joy of God in eternity past, when he says he's given us that joy, it changes us. You with me? We need to meditate on this before we meditate on this. And finally, that we would be with him forever. My mom's 90. She's not in a good spot physically. She's in a great spot spiritually. Got all kinds of stuff. And my time's taken up with her a lot. But you know what makes me the happiest? And she's going to be with Jesus forever. In the beatific vision. Close with this. 1 John 1, 5. I know you don't have your Bibles here. One of the reasons to bring your Bibles, I'm not preaching and all that, I'm at you, but it's to turn to other passages. So, 1 John 1, this is the conclusion. What does all this mean for us? God exists in communion, we do too, he invites us in. God exists in community. He invites us in, and God exists in mission. And the same thing God does for us, we are going to do one for another. We'll talk about that in the future. But 1 John 1, 1 through 5. We are the conclusion to this sermon. This is what it says. That which we've heard from the beginning. Remember when you heard the word for the first time? The first love that you had? What we've heard from the beginning, what we've heard, what we've seen with our eyes, what we've looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that is Jesus. What we've seen, what we've heard, what we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life, this life was made, made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it. If you see this word of God, you're going to tell other people because it's the best thing that has ever happened or will happen to you or anyone else under heaven. We testify to you and we proclaim to you the eternal life. We are in communion with God. We see him, we touch him, we taste him. And as we do that, we proclaim life one to another. That life was with the Father and made manifest to us. That which we've seen and heard, we complain to you so that you might have fellowship with us. In that one passage, God is calling us and he's saying, First John is saying, I want you to know you have communion with God. I want you to know you have communion with God. You've touched him. You've tasted him. You are becoming like him. I want you to know because of that communion, you now have community one to another, and you're to invite 
You're invited to races. You're to invite different people. You're to invite the homeless. You're to invite your grandmother. You're to invite Aunt Daisy, who's not a nice person. You are to invite everyone into the community that you have with God so that they will have eternal life. And you are to live your life proclaiming the grace and goodness of God. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we need to talk about this all day long. Your communion. Your community that you have among yourself and your commission. I pray in the coming days we would think more about you than anything else. Because then and only then will this church be transformed into the very image that you've created us to be. Then and only then will you give us grace and power to deal with our world and transform it. Then and only then will you enable us to deal with the issues in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.